This message by Bob Coughlin, titled Pursuing God's Presence, is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. It was recorded during the fourth main session at our Worship God 2006 conference. Bob serves as Director of Worship Development for Sovereign Grace Ministries and as a pastor and worship leader at Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I have to confess that I looked for someone else to do this message. And it ended up being me. And I am happy to have the privilege of sharing with you this morning on this topic of pursuing God's presence. We've been served so well by Jeff, Mark, and Craig, haven't we? They have... God dwells in his people whom he has purchased for himself. Christ has gained us constant access to God's presence through his blood. God makes his presence known in preaching and the Lord's Supper. We've been warned, and rightly so, about the dangers of seeking to understand God's presence subjectively through our senses or experiences. Yet... There is an undeniable aspect of God's presence that can be experienced. Now, I'm not referring to his omnipresence. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday whose pastor just rules out all talk of God's presence because God's present everywhere. Well, yes, it's true. God is present everywhere. But he, he reveals his presence. And we, we saw last night how God he promises his presence through the preaching of his word and through the, through the sharing of the Lord's Supper as we respond in faith. And I know that was an unusual message for a worship conference, but I think it's helpful for us to understand how God reveals his presence to us before we get to this topic. Because most of the time when we talk about God's presence, we start here. What do I feel? What do I experience? What, what's, it, what's it going to be like? We don't want to rule that out, but we don't want to start there. So the messages have had a progression to them. But this morning I want to talk about God's active presence, how God's Spirit works among us. And it is addressed, Paul addresses it, God addresses it. In 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, is probably... No chapter where we hear more about God's active presence in the way we're going to be talking about this morning. But I just want to read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Let's ask for God's help. Father, we thank You for 
you have been with us. We thank you that you have taught us in so many ways and through so many means. We thank you that we can enjoy fellowship during these days and encounter you. We thank you that we are being changed as we gaze upon your glory. We are being changed from glory to glory. We thank you that this is all the work of your spirit. And I pray that you would do your work in us as I speak this morning. That your spirit would be active to renew our minds, to change our hearts, to change our lives. I ask this because you are a merciful God and you have promised to work through your word. So we do this in faith and joy for your glory. Amen. I love to read a good biography. And one of the ones that has been my favorite has been this, Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. Alexander Hamilton, you may not know, never served as the president of the United States, but impacted the country probably more than many who did. He was the first secretary of the treasury, and he established this country on a firm financial footing. But he was a man of profound contradictions. He was both idolized and despised during and after his life. Some people loved him, some people hated him. And that continues to this day. He was a highly principled man in many ways, but early on in his marriage he committed adultery. And it plagued him for the rest of his life. He ran the country's finances ably and wisely. But when he died, he left his wife, Eliza, and their eight children with significant personal debt. He may have experienced a genuine conversion before he died. He told a pastor, I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I knew from the beginning of this book that Hamilton would be killed in a duel of honor with Aaron Burr. But on page 708, when Hamilton actually died, I felt like I had lost a personal friend. While reading this biography, Hamilton had come alive to me. I felt as though I knew him. Yet, Since reading this book, I've never heard Alexander Hamilton's voice or interacted with him. I've never expected to encounter him. And here's why. Hamilton lived 200 years ago. He's gone. He's dead. I can't meet him. I can't fully encounter him except on a lifeless page. I wonder how many of us, when it comes to knowing and worshiping God, approach Him like the main character of a biography. We read about Him, but He's distant. We learn what He did in the past, but we don't expect Him to break into the present. We sing about God, but we don't expect to actually encounter him. We pray, but we don't think that God will ever talk back. We hear and read his word, but it's only facts, principles, stories, and information that's kept on a lifeless page. The Bible is not the biography of a distant, absent, or dead God. Alexander Hamilton is dead. Jesus Christ is alive. And though God's written word is utterly sufficient for all things pertaining to godliness, His presence and His power are not confined to it. Scripture reveals and exalts a God who is near, 
A God who is active, a God who breaks into the present, a God who can be encountered. Our worship isn't only about God or to God. It involves God. It isn't only to and for God. Worship is where we encounter and experience God. And the one who enables us to experience and encounter God in the way I'm describing is God himself, the Holy Spirit. For when we gather... The Holy Spirit is actively present to empower our worship for the Savior's glory. Now I know, and I have thought many times about the fact, that there are some here, maybe many, perhaps you're listening to this by CD, who have had concerns about what I'm about to address. And I am grateful for your concerns. Because I would have the same concerns. (laughs) Every time we talk about God's active presence, it seems there's confusion and questions are raised and people wonder, whoa, where's he going with this? All those existed in the Corinthian church. There was confusion. They viewed particular manifestations of the Spirit, especially tongues, as proof of their maturity. They used the gifts in a disorderly and self-promoting way. So God has Paul write to them to protect them from errors in doctrine and practice. And that's my aim as well. One of the questions Paul seems to be answering in the passage we just read is this, is it true that spiritual manifestations of the Spirit consistently determine who is really spiritual? And he makes it clear that spirituality has to do with our understanding of and relationship to Christ, not manifestations. His focus is Christological. He focuses on Jesus Christ. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. The main work of the Spirit that we want to celebrate in every instance and in every place is the miracle of regeneration where the Spirit causes dead souls to live. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Paul also makes it clear that more important than using our gifts is the reason for which we use them. Motivated by love and to build others up. He seeks to protect them from their immaturity, their fanaticism, and their error. But Paul doesn't simply tell them to stop seeking God's empowering presence. Instead, he encouraged them. He encourages them to seek evidences of the Spirit's active presence. In these three chapters, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Now, if God had me writing this to the Corinthians, and for obvious reasons, he didn't, and it's a good thing, because my tendency, and probably yours would be to say, would you stop all the tongue stuff? No more! You're making a mess of things. Christians for centuries are going to be looking back at you. Look at what you're doing. It's embarrassing. But God didn't do it that way. Did he? And some of you who are cessationists are saying, yeah, but I wish he did. I wish there was just one line. Stop it. Stop all the tongues. 
but it's not there. And I've looked. (laughs) You've probably looked a lot harder than I have. It's not there. Paul not only seeks to protect, he actually seeks to promote the active presence of God's Spirit. This is a problem. If we want a neat and tidy theology, what can we learn from this? At the end of his commentary in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, called Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson, which I highly commend to you. We have a few copies in the bookstore. Showing the Spirit. D.A. Carson concludes with this. We must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. But such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. Amen. Isn't that good? That's worth applauding for. Thank you. That's Carson. Amen to biblical constraints and joyfully submitting to them. That's what we're supposed to do. But in our attempts to prevent error, we must not negate experience. And I want to focus in on this experiential aspect of God's presence this morning. There is much I will not be able to say. Some of which has been said in the messages that have preceded this one. Others have have served us well. Jeff Perswell has done two messages on the Holy Spirit. One at New Attitude on experiencing and understanding the Holy Spirit. Another called the Non-Spectacular Gifts. Both are available from the Sovereign Grace website. Gordon Fee's book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God, is excellent. Carson's book, Showing the Spirit, I highly commend all of those. But this is what I want to address this morning. If when we gather, the Holy Spirit is actively present to empower our worship for the Savior's glory, what kind of heart does God want us to cultivate so that we can be aware of and respond to what He's doing? I want to suggest three things that we can cultivate in our hearts so that we can be aware of and respond to what He's doing. The first would be a desperate dependence. Desperate dependence. We, along with the Corinthians, need the Spirit of God in our worship of God. These chapters deal with the church gathered together and what takes place there. And it's fairly evident that the Spirit is doing things when the Corinthians gather. And Paul talks about gifts. In verse 4, he says there are varieties of gifts. In verse 9, he talks about gifts of healing. That word is charisma. It can be translated grace gift. They're gifts of grace. And when something is a gift of grace, it's saying twice that we're not the source. It's a gift, and it's undeserved. It's of grace. The Corinthians, just like us, were utterly dependent on the Spirit working in them to produce these manifestations of the Spirit. They couldn't work them up by themselves. They were dependent on the Spirit's empowering presence. We're like that, but so often we don't know it. It's difficult to acknowledge our desperate dependence, isn't it? We contend towards self-sufficiency. I have everything under control. We like to be under control. We like to have things the way we are familiar with and the the way we've planned. We don't like to think we need God's Spirit for anything. Except for maybe a few tips and pointers along the way. But we've been good students. We've studied. We know what to do. Thank you, Spirit. 
If I get off a little, just give me a little nudge, but I'm okay now. I'm okay. We find it easier to rely on our experience, our knowledge, and our resources than the Spirit of God. And that's not to pit them against the Spirit of God, but it's to say that we need both. Do we have any idea of the forces that constantly oppose us? They'll make us aware of our desperate need. The world seeking to lure us into immoral pleasures, to adopt ungodly attitudes, and to live for a world that is passing away. It surrounds us. The flesh, a powerful, pervasive, and deceptive enemy that lives right inside us whose desires are opposed to the Spirit, we're told in Galatians, and anti-God in every respect. Pervasive, deceptive, powerful. Read John Owen if you're unconvinced about that. Indwelling sin in believers, mortification of sin, temptation and sin. The devil, the devil. (laughs) We don't like to give the devil a lot of press. But he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour through deception and condemnation. Do we think we aren't susceptible to his schemes? The world, the flesh, the devil. Does recognizing how they are opposing us Make us a little more aware of our desperate dependence on God's Spirit to live a life that pleases God? How How do we acknowledge our desperate dependence? Well, we do it by asking God for help. Asking is the manifestation of desperate dependence. A few weeks ago, I was helping my son in law and my daughter move. And I unwisely carried a chair on top of my head with springs and it was bouncing up and down. And as I was walking, I just felt this thing in my back. And it wasn't a pleasant thing. And as I finished the day, I I thought, man, I've done something there. Well, sure enough, about a week later, I couldn't get out of bed. My back hurt so badly. So for a few days, I was somewhat, not immobilized, but in pain. And I remember having my devotions, being get, getting done, and trying to get up, and I couldn't get up. I was in the chair, and I just, I mean, I wanted to get up, <laughs> but I couldn't. I felt like that commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. I, and I was there, I was alone, no one was around, I, you know, I didn't know what to do. Help, help. <laughs> so... I ended up rolling out of the chair. It was so embarrassing, but no one was there to see it. Of course, I'm telling you. So I rolled out of the chair, and I realized I am so desperately dependent. And I had to ask people to do things for me. I had to ask them to get things for me, to to go places for me. And it was humbling. But that's a realistic picture of what we are like all the time. We are desperately dependent. That's why we're commanded to always pray in the Spirit. We pray by the Spirit. We pray to the Spirit for His working. So we see the Spirit not only empowers us, but He stirs us up to pray. The Spirit is the one who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We're told in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness as we pray. Prayer is a sign that we're desperately dependent on God. So I want to ask us, are we aware of our weakness? Do we pray before we meet with God's people? Do we pray before we meet with our small group? Do we feel our desperate dependence on God's Spirit? Because it's not our self-sufficiency that displays God's power. It's our weakness. His strength is perfected in our weakness. How do we know 
we're weak if we're never aware that we're desperately dependent. Prayer shows our need for the Spirit's empowering presence. I've been doing a great deal of reading on this whole topic of how the Spirit manifests God's presence in our midst. And I was on the Banner of Truth website. Now, Banner of Truth is a wonderful publishing company that publishes wonderful books, many of them by the Puritans. We thank God for them. But they would, they would not believe in the present-day gifts of the Spirit in, in certain ways. But I found this on their website, and I, I thought, this is, this is good. Lord, this is, this is your hand. It's by a pastor named Graham Harrison from an article called Worship in the Presence of God. He writes this, There can be no substitute for that manifested presence of God, which is always a biblical possibility for the people of God. When it is not being experienced, they should humbly seek him for it. Not, now listen to this, not neglecting their ongoing duties, not denying their present blessings. Yes, God, you are present in the preaching of your word. Yes, you are present as we sing. Yes, God, you are present as we share the Lord's Supper. But recognizing that there is always infinitely more with their God and Father who desires fellowship with those redeemed by the blood of His Son and regenerated by the work of His Spirit. There is always more, and we should humbly seek Him for it. So I ask again, do we pray before our meetings? Do we pray prayers that aren't intended to impress those who are listening, but are intended to express our need for God's Spirit to move among us? Do we pray during the meetings? You know, how many times have you been listening to a message? Or perhaps even leading song and just been unaffected? It just, one, you feel dry, you feel barren, and... You just kind of plod through. Well, this is a sacrifice of praise. I'll just give it to you, Lord. Lord, this is for your glory. That's not glorifying God. If we're saying, Lord, I really don't feel anything for you. I don't think you're that great. I don't think you're that wonderful. But, you know, I'm just going to sing anyway. No, let's, we need to do that in humble faith. And that begins by saying, God, I don't feel anything for you. Something's wrong. What's, what's going on in my heart? Have I, have I loved the world so much that I have no love left for you? Have I feasted at the table of the world that I don't desire to feast at your table? Because that's what often happens. Our passion for God, is, for God is robbed by the idols we serve. It could be other things, but we need God's help to know what it is. So why don't we just pray? God, help me. Just listening to a message, we're having trouble understanding, maybe even staying awake. God, please help me right now. Manifest your Spirit's work in my life. I need you to benefit from this teaching. Do we pray for our hearts and ears to be open? Let's do it. Let's pray for our wills to be responsive. Let's pray that God would change our lives, renew our minds, expose lies that we've believed, idols we've trusted in. You know, that sin you've been trying to overcome... That relationship that isn't right. That coldness in your heart. God wants to deal with those. He's not a distant God. He is near. And He is active. And He wants to work in our hearts and in our lives. So we acknowledge our desperate dependence. Two. It pleases the Lord when you are characterized by eager expectation. Eager expectation. Paul says there are varieties of gifts and workings, but the same Spirit empowers them all. We read in verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 7, to each is given the what? manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, a manifestation is something that we can see. 
It has a discernibly dynamic dimension. If I tell you I'm happy and I stand like this. No, really. I'm happy. I mean, I might be happy. But there's no manifestation of it. What does God tell us in his word? He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This should build our faith. David Pryor, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says this, The most important truth here stressed is that individual Christians are intended to demonstrate that they have the Spirit of God within them. He intends to make himself felt and known through his gifts as well as by his fruit. Often, the reason for the church's lack of credibility as the community of the Holy Spirit lies precisely here. We say all the right words, but no one can see it. Many Christians do not or cannot manifest their distinctive gifts in the life of their local church. Paul is adamant that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That refrain runs through the chapter like a theme in a symphony. The Christian community is the community of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now God tells us that the Spirit sovereignly empowers each one individually as He wills. We read that in verse 11. Each one individually as he wills. means we can't orchestrate the activity of God's Spirit, but we can be ready for it. We can expect it. We can yearn for it. And trusting in God's sovereignty is no reason to think that he won't move in miraculous ways. Let's follow the example of the early church. Turn to Acts 4, if you would. Often those are pitted against one another. God's sovereign. He gives each one individually as he wills. We can't expect these things. No. Acts 4 verse 27. Peter and John have been released from prison. The believers were gathered together. They're praying. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That sounds like sovereignty to me. (laughs) And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh, how I long to see that. But the point I want to make right now is that the early Christians trusted God's sovereignty. Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place but they still expected God to do wondrous things through them. Stretch out your hand to heal God. Stretch out your hand to to do signs and wonders so that more people might glorify your servant Jesus. And the place where they were was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's sovereignty is the foundation for expecting His active presence. That's why we can believe that He will work in our midst. What does eager expectation for the Spirit's active presence look like? It means listening. If I was going to sum it up in one word, it means listening, watching. Listening and watching for the Spirit's activity, for the Spirit's leadings and promptings. It's like waiting for good friends to arrive at the house. You you might be sitting in the living room and Maybe someone returning home from a, from a trip where they've been away for a long time. You're waiting for the sound of the car pulling into the driveway. You're waiting for the sound of the doors shutting. You're waiting for the sound of the footsteps. and it's all, You're hearing, you're listening, you're waiting. You're waiting for the door to open and you're waiting, you're listening, you're aware. Some of us, perhaps many of us, I think, listen for the Spirit 
not really expecting him to say anything. It's kind of like if your five-year-old comes to you in the middle of the night and says, Daddy, Daddy, there's a monster in my closet. I can't sleep, I can't sleep. So, okay, okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's all right. well, let's go check and we'll, we'll go check the closet, okay? Here we go. All right, now we're going to check the closet and see if there's a monster in there, okay? Open the door. Ah! No! <laughs> Now, what if there was a monster in the closet? Wouldn't you be surprised? What if, what if God's Spirit really does speak to us? Circumstantially. Would you be surprised? Are we listening? Are we watching? Are we making plans and then being completely dependent on our plans? I've so appreciated CJ's example and leadership, Josh's as well, over the years, as we, as we are preparing for meetings, preparing diligently and studying God's Word and seeking to pastor the people well, but then always asking, let's, let's just take a few moments to... To ask the Lord, is there anything specific He wants to do this morning that we haven't thought of, that we, that we haven't prepared for? And many wonderful, God-initiated moments of ministry have come as a result of just taking the time to listen. As you prepare to, to lead congregational song or for your small group in whatever context, do you ask God, after you've prepared and planned, to say, Lord, is there anything I'm missing? Anything else that maybe you want to say or address or speak to? Todd Twining, uh, you saw earlier, came up with his team from Orlando. And before they came, he asked them three questions. What do you hope God will do in your life at this conference? How might you bless others at this conference? What does God want you to bring back to bless your local church? He's setting them up for eager expectation. Do we do that? Are we eagerly expecting God's active presence? We're desperately dependent. We're eagerly expectant. And third, how we respond to God's Holy Spirit actively present as we worship the Savior We want to respond with humble responsiveness. Humble responsiveness. I think one of the reasons that the charismatic cessationist debate has been so volatile and uncharitable is because so many times people have responded to genuine works of the Spirit in a proud way. Let me give you some some examples. Like the Corinthians, we view our gifts as the best, as the true sign of maturity. We're offended when others don't receive our gift as authentic. We take it personally. We include, God definitely told me to say this when we're communicating some impression. Or we just say, thus saith the Lord. Kind of rule out all doubt. Or we're quiet, not wanting to say anything at all, lest people think we're off the wall. We get thoughts, we get impressions, but we're not going to say anything. Someone might think we're charismatic. Not going to do that. Or we think God's Spirit always reveals His presence the same way. And we look down condescendingly on others who have experienced God's presence in a different way. The point of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that there is variety. And none of them are better than the other. 
tongues, miracles. I mean, isn't it great? In the list of the gifts, you got miracles and you got showing mercy. Well, they're both works of the Spirit. They're both manifestations of His active presence. There's a reason God tells us to test prophecy in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's because we don't always get it right. Gifts must be tested before they can be trusted. In many charismatic circles, there's the unfortunate practice of beginning every word or impression or sharing with, thus says the Lord. We shouldn't do that. Only only the men who wrote this book could say that. Thus says the Lord. He did say it. He said it in his word. But we can say things like, you know, I think that God might be saying, I'm just having this sense that the Lord wants to ask you humble responsiveness. It doesn't make it any less from the Lord to share it as an impression or in the third person. For about 15 years now, I have been exercising what I believe is a gift of the Spirit. don't believe that the gifts in Scripture are exhaustive, that, that God wrote, put down every gift, every way the Spirit manifests Himself. And one way that I believe I've been used of the Lord is through spontaneous song. Uh, songs that are kind of written on the spot. Uh, we sang one yesterday morning when John led us from the piano. That was just a song in response to an impression that someone had shared from Psalm 16. The kind I tend to get are usually for a person or a group of people or a situation. And they're usually in the first person. It's not because I think I'm God. <laughs> it's it's a it's in, been interesting. It's a poetic form. It's a poetic usage of song. Of song. I've found many hymns or some hymns at least that are in the first person, where God is speaking to us to encourage us. I I don't think those are infallible words. I don't think I'm getting like a direct link from God. Yes, Lord. What what word? Okay, what word? What word exactly? I don't think they're heavenly melodies that you know, one day we'll be singing around the throne and someone says, hey, that's the song that Bob sang. <laughs> I, I just want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. About 15 years ago, I had been struggling with this issue in my soul because a number of frequently when I would lead congregational song. I would have this impression to sing out. Now, I've been writing songs since I was 12. So, so there is a natural gift there. But, but I'm not talking about a natural gift. I'm talking about something that God uses to affect people. So I was having this struggle about this whole issue. Thinking, well, man, what am I doing? I mean, what, what if I start singing and like... I go off key, or what if I like I get in the middle of a line and I blank out and I don't I can't say anything, or what if I say something that's like unbiblical, or what if people think I'm doing this to like gain glory for myself, and what if I am doing it to gain glory for myself, and there's just no way I'm going to do this. So I'd have these battles, and and as I started a conference, I, I just felt it's, I was having a conversation with the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I I think these are from you and I just want to be faithful. I want to be like the mailman. I I just want to deliver. You know, if I feel you're giving me something, I just want to deliver it. I'm not looking for glory in it. I'm sure I am somewhere, but I I just want to be faithful. And God in his kindness began giving me more songs, different situations, different circumstances. I'll get them sometimes in my devotional time. I'll I get them sometimes in the shower or when I'm mowing the lawn or driving a car or whatever. It, there's nothing eerie. It's nothing spooky. It's just a line comes into my mind and it's got a melody. Of, oh, what's that? But I want to be faithful because I can't explain. I can't explain the fruit that I've seen over 15 years. Here's here's one example. A woman named Carolyn. She was a Christian for 18 years, part of a Sovereign Grace Church. She was at a conference. She had grown up Roman Catholic, 
And she could have grown up a number of different denominations, but she had grown up Roman Catholic, and she had lived with a sense of condemnation and guilt, even as a Christian. Uh, she just felt like she never measured up. She heard teachings on the grace of God purchased for us once and for all through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. But it, nev- it never affected her. It just didn't fit. So at this particular event, I sang a song for former Roman Catholics. And months later, she sent me an, an email and said this, I... I wept and wailed during your entire song because the trouble you described, the earning and deserving mentality and all the rest hit the bullseye. I didn't know that my 22 years as a religious Catholic thinker had sealed off my understanding of the grace of God. God knew me. Understood my never-ending circles of pain and addressed through your prophetic song issues that no one but my creator could have known. It is now five months later and his grace continues to flow into my heart daily. I have an unspeakable joy. Now, now, what is that? It's certainly not skillfully crafted, you know, oh, let's do this one. Now, oh, this always works. This gets them. Let's do the Catholic thing. Next, next week, let's do the Baptist thing. It's, no, I, I believe it's, it's one, of the, one of the things that we're talking about here. God's active presence. I've been on the receiving end of it as well. Uh, three years ago, I was in a time season of my life where I was just getting tired. I was getting weary. I was thinking, Lord, how much longer can I do this? Uh, I, I just don't know how much I can go on. I, all my life, I've been very active, large capacity, just love doing, 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 doing. But I just felt the fuel run, run, running out, more like I was running on fumes. So I was at a conference in Florida. One of our, uh, our churches in Florida got together. And a 17-year-old girl came up to me named Melinda. And she said, I think I have something from God for you. And she had written it down. I said, really? I said, okay, well, go ahead and tell me. So this is part of what she said. I think the Lord's saying, there are times in your life when when you're pouring yourself out so much, you tend to ask yourself, How much more? God, what's next? How much more can I give? I have nothing left. But God wants to encourage you that he wants to fill you up again. Now, she didn't know what I was going through. I wept. I wept at the kindness of a God who would meet me in that circumstance. Now, Did I know that God's power was available to sustain me? Yes. It wasn't a matter of knowledge. It was a matter of the truth being applied to my heart. Circumstantially. The truth didn't change. That didn't bring me any new truth. And these are just two examples. There are hundreds more I could give you. Now, I want to make sure we understand something because my... My desire, God's desire, is to protect us from foolishness and error. These kinds of workings of the Spirit don't replace abiding in God's Word. They don't replace faith in God's Word or submission to God's Word. These are simply confirmation of God's active presence in our midst, given to strengthen, to build up, to encourage God's Word will always remain the only infallible rule for life, practice, and doctrine. Scripture is the primary way that God speaks to us. You want to hear more from God? Don't go to a meeting. Read your Bible. No experience of God's Spirit today will ever be canonical, It will never give us new doctrine. It will never arise above Scripture in importance. The Word of God will always be the main way we encounter God as we meet. We sing it, we preach it, we read it, and we share it in the Lord's Supper. And yet, God's Word says that the Spirit gives varieties of gifts and varieties of service. And varieties 
of activities. And I just have a hard time believing that the early church were the only ones who were supposed to get these things. So how do we humbly respond? Well, I'm not saying that everyone should start singing spontaneous songs. And for some of you, I'm really not saying that. (laughs) What ways does God want to work through you to build up the church and bring glory to the Savior? Let me give you a couple categories. In larger meetings. Well, first, there are countless ways that you already may be serving. Romans 12 fills out the list of gifts starting with prophecy, but then adding serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, showing acts of mercy, all signs of the Spirit's active presence in our midst. Praise God. But Paul's focus here in 1 Corinthians is more on the spontaneous verbal gifts. It could be sharing a scripture. We have a microphone down here for people to give spontaneous contributions. To walk down to this microphone is a step of faith. To speak to the pastor who who is there to listen to contributions for their content, for their attitude, for their faithfulness to scripture, for the timing. And I so respect the men who do that. They have a hard job, but they're seeking to serve the body. The, The gifts are not to be exercised in a disorderly way. That was Paul's point in writing to the Corinthians. Everything should be done decently and in order. But that may be one way of contributing. If you have a church where there, you, you can open contributions up just to come forward and, and to share. Now people have referred to, you know, when you come down and the, the pastor says, well, no, I don't think that really fits right now. And you have to walk back. People have referred to that walking back as the walk of shame. You know, you just have the sense people, are, people aren't singing anymore. They're just all looking at you. <laughs> let, let me say this very strongly. You should feel no shame for seeking to be humbly responsive to what you believe to be the Spirit's working in your life. And God is pleased with faithfulness to glorify the Savior. It might be sharing a spontaneous thought or question with someone. We don't have to convince them it's the Lord. We don't have to raise our voice when we're talking to them. We're talking a really spiritual way. This is the Lord for you. Can can we just like stop doing that? Really, I think one of the reasons that Sovereign Grace Ministries, which which is you know, essentially reformed but has a charismatic practice. I think one of the reasons that we intrigue people who don't share those convictions is because we all talk normal, most of us anyway. <laughs> it's like God uses us. He doesn't use some image of us. He uses us. And how amazing it is that He does. It might be asking for prayer at the end of the meeting, expecting God to work. In us. That's a humble response. It might be praying for others. All those are ways we can humbly respond in a corporate setting. As, as we are leading, it might be changing things up slightly, repeating a line. There, there are different ways. I'll share some more of those in a moment. In a larger meeting, fewer people are going to have opportunities to participate in, in the verbal ways, although we can all participate in other ways, because the church gathers to, to experience the manifestation of the Spirit for each one. We never come just to spectate. But let me talk about smaller meetings for a moment, where there are many more opportunities. We can pray for our group beforehand. We can pray for the people in the group by name. We can bring a verse or a testimony, or an encouragement. We can share any sense or burden or impression with the leader. You know, just, well, you know, I was driving over tonight, and, I, you know, Mary and Fred, I just, I just wonder if, you know, well, they're going through a hard time, and we should pray for them. Okay, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. 
and pursue the work of God's Holy Spirit as He works in and through us so that the Savior might be honored. Let's not make this mistake the Corinthians made of exalting certain manifestations of the Spirit's working over others, seeing them as marks of true spirituality. Let's not err on the other side, failing to recognize, appreciate, or respond to the Spirit's active presence in our midst. Let's not be so afraid of being identified with a charismatic label that we fail to enjoy and experience all that God has for us every time we meet together. We have so much to look forward to. And the good news is, this isn't limited to just when we meet together. The Spirit is actively working in our lives all the time. Do we recognize our desperate dependence? Are we eagerly expecting it? Are we humbly responsive? We have so much more to know of God and His working in our lives. I could die right now or find out I'm going to die and say, God, you have, you have been merciful and kind and I have all that I need in you, in the gospel, in your word. Thank you. But as long as I know I'm going to live longer, I'm going to keep pursuing God, a knowledge of him. A knowledge of His active working. A knowledge of His presence realized, experienced, encountered. Because it's His promise to be with us through His Word. It's His promise to be with us as we meet in His name. And it is His promise to give us the joy, the blessing, and the good of seeing Him work in our midst through manifestations of the Spirit given to everyone. When people visit our churches, what will they see? What do they see? Do they see a group of people who worship a God they only read about, but one that never really interacts with them or speaks to them? Or will it be like what we see in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is talking about different members of the church sharing impressions they're receiving from the Lord. And he says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. By God's grace, may the people who are with us never fail to see that God is really among us. He is really among us. Actively working, empowering, encouraging, convicting, all for the glory of the Savior. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious life you have called us to live. What grace you have poured out on us through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of his spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you have ascended to your Father's right hand and have poured out your spirit upon your church. We thank you that we never need to doubt your presence. But we can always eagerly expect to encounter more of it. We pray that you would make us aware of our desperate dependence. That you would stir us up to eager expectation whenever we are with your people. And whenever we do. And we pray that we would humbly respond to your amazing, kind, gracious work 
in our lives, so manifesting your presence in us and in our midst. Thank you and praise you. May your church experience more and more, demonstrate more and more your active presence through your spirit, all for the glory of the name above all names, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You've been listening to a message by Bob Coughlin, which was given at our Worship God 2006 conference and has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planning and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.sovereigngraceministries.org or call us at 301-330-7400.